Jason Steinerman invented his glam rock musical persona, Ensign Broderick, when he was just 12 years old. Now the Toronto musician is ready to share it with the world. Blood Crush is the latest disc to join the back catalogue of Ensign Broderick music. Now we're going to talk all about Ensign Broderick shortly because this story is one that I read about first. I sought out the music, was blown away, and had to find you and get you in here. But I want to set the stage a little bit before we we, we get down to that. Uh, you have a very famous last name, Snyderman. Sam the Rucker Man was your father. Um, I loved your dad. I was telling you before we turned the microphones on, he was in the store frequently when I was a, a, a much younger man. I would go in, and the idea that he was there just kind of blew my mind. But you were probably also in the building somewhere because you started stocking shelves when you were like five years old or something yeah, exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. and what was that like as a five-year-old? Because your dad was a big deal. Or did you know that? No, you don't, you're not really aware of that at that point. When I was five years old, um, he was just... When I was five years old, the whole music business industry, pop music culture was just kind of starting to blossom with mm-hmm. the Beatles and the Stones and Elvis Presley before that. And, you know, music before that was centered around 45s of Frank Sinatra and, and, and pop singers of that nature. And the whole notion of pop music coming out of England with LPs and stuff like that was just starting to happen. And his career in selling records kind of ascended at the same time as that. Me going to the store was what I'd do on Saturdays or for Christmas holidays or that type of thing because everyone in the family kind of chipped in and I couldn't really help customers, but stocking the shelves was a way for me to be able to contribute. And of course, at the end of the day, after working, I got to choose a record to right. take home with me, which was my pay for the week or the day or whatever it was, you know. And that's how you created your original record collection in which judging from the names that I've seen here, uh, there was Little Richard, uh, the Rolling Stones and stuff. I, I, I see a through line from those records to the music you're making today. Yeah, sure. And and at that point, that was, it wasn't me being really prescient. It was just, it was what people listened to. You right. know, I had uh, a small little turntable and I got well, Long Tall Sally, mm-hmm. you know, which I don't know what was called Long Tall Sally in the States, but anyway, I got Long Tall Sally as a record and, and I wasn't the biggest Beatles fan, so don't kill me. <laughs> but I did get I think high. It's t- safe to say that now. That was that was maybe sixty four, sixty five, and then I got High Tide and Green Grass, which was like my thing because I liked High Tide and Green Grass because I liked how the Rolling Stones looked as right. opposed to how the Beatles looked. It was they were looked more kind of authentic to me and more of what I was like thinking about musically in my head at that point. And did you have the chance to meet rock stars? Because your dad, yeah. all over the store, there'd be photographs of him with every famous person that came through town. Well, I mean, I started going to shows when I was really young. And I started going to shows by myself when I was nine. Wow. Well, well Toronto and I guess most cities in, in Canada were different at that time. Mm-hmm. And we, the, the public transit system was fine. It was safe. Kids can go. I mean, I used to travel back and forth in school from when yeah. I was a kid. So it wasn't a big deal going to see bands at Maple Leaf Gardens, um, <clears throat> which were where large bands played, or Massey Hall, where, yep. where bands that uh, you know, could sell 2,000 seats played. But uh, yeah, and uh, I think that um, my whole 
identity of music was formed from working in that store and getting various influences of magazines and also going to see the shows I saw, you know? Yeah, reading NME magazine, Cream, Hit Parader. Yeah, there wasn't that much on TV at that point, mm-hmm. you know, Ed Sullivan show and stuff like that. There wasn't, there wasn't that much pop music to see other than listening to it or hearing it on the radio or seeing the magazines. Yeah, I'm just a few years younger than you, but I remember you'd see uh, the Friday Night Special or um, uh, rock concert, Don Kirshner's rock concert. Yeah, Midnight Special. Midnight Special. Yeah. And you would literally talk about them all week. And it was a great week when Alice Cooper was on. Not as great a week when Bread or you know something like that was on, America was on. But you would talk about that. It was exciting because you never got to see those bands. I mean, there was no videos yet. There were... Well, I mean, further to my musical influences and style, the radio and entertainment rock shows were more a polyglot of things. You got like Bread and you got a progressive band and you got like a soul band. And things weren't kind of put in boxes. Things weren't segregated musically. Mm -hmm. That happened in the later 70s. And the radio was like that. Listening to Chum AM in Toronto was definitely like that because you'd hear like David Ansel Collins, um, a reggae, a really deep reggae song. Then you'd hear a Bread song and you'd hear something from Mm -hmm. Motown. So... You know, the influences, and you'd hear country music, you hear Charlie Rich. Yeah. So the influences are all over the place. And and going back to your question about people coming to the store, um, obviously a lot of famous people came in the store on their day off in your band. There's nothing to do. You go to a record store, you gravitate there. But um, Young Street, the Young Street Strip, which was a lot of clubs in Toronto at that mm-hmm. point, and there was a particular sound that was a Toronto sound, R&B sound with Dominic Troiano and yeah, yeah. the Hawks came from that kind and of school. Mandela, and probably. Mandela, yeah. yeah, the Rhinoceros. All those kind of bands came from that kind of, I guess, the what was copied on the strip, you know. Yeah. Actually, a really good soul record came out last, last, uh, last year, I forget, on the Numero Uno label of a soul singer from Toronto. I forget the person's name. But anyways, that influenced... Um, the music you listen to, the music, the, the clothes you wore. I remember that beside the store was the Edison Hotel, which yeah. a hotel that also had a country bar in it. And there was a really famous wrestler across Canada from the 60s called Sweet Daddy Seeky. Yeah, yeah. And he would, he, and everyone at that point wanted to make a record. So, because pop culture was exploding, if you were a wrestler, you made a record. Muhammad Ali made a record. Cassius Clay. That's right. I'm the greatest, and he, right? And yeah. He, yeah. <clears throat> so, everyone made those types of records. And uh, they would come to the store. So Sweet Daddy Seeky would come to the store, and and um, and he'd be playing at Edison Hotel, and he'd be really sweet. He's a really sweet guy. Yeah. And I remember Wayne Cochran. Um, Wayne Cochran was an R&B singer. I think uh, I think he's from the Midwest, but um, he did his famous song was C.C. Ryder. Yeah, yeah. And he had like a huge bouffant, and he would come to the store. <laughs> he's a really tall guy. He's like tall like you, and yeah. he had this huge blonde bouffant that he'd done up and stuff like that. I totally know this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he'd be playing down the street at Lecoq Door, which is where Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks used to play. Um, and uh, so all these things influenced what was happening in culturally in Toronto from a music scene. And it kind of got parlayed into radio and whatever TV there was kind of was influenced by that too. And then you're about, let, let, let's sort of go around the age of 12 or so and you start to discover glam rock. You discover David Bowie, you discover Mark Bolin, people like that. And that music really spoke to you. Yeah, I'm, I mean, like most kids at that time, you were influenced by what happened at Woodstock and what happened with Led Zeppelin and... and uh, the Who playing Woodstock mm-hmm. and Jimi Hendrix. You remember that a lot of those guys dressed really 
flashy, you right. know, Jimi Hendrix dressed flashy. And, and I saw Led Zeppelin a couple of times. The first time I saw them was at uh, O'Keefe Center, which is about 2,000 people. And uh, Robert Plant was dressed really like Robert Plant, like tight blue jeans. But yeah. both him and Jimmy Page were wearing women's shoes. And I thought right. it was just like, like kind of like lace-up high heel shoes that probably weren't women's shoes. Yeah. but. But they looked great. So you kind of got this notion of where the nexus of fashion and music was going to kind of expand from. And on one side, I guess it became more rootsy with guys dressed like the band and stuff like that, Americana type look. And the other side, it became more flashy. Mm -hmm. And then you had this kind of reaction in Britain to people wearing overalls and Bowie saying, well, I'm going to dress up. And Brian Ferry saying, well, it's a show we should dress up. And kind of the glam movement came out of there, you know, and it became a bit of a caricature with bands like Sweet and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Roy like Wizard that, yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, it uh, a, a lot of the, I mean, the music, it wasn't just what it looked like. The music had a lot of impact and the music was also speaking to literature and speaking to film and speaking to things that were outside traditional rock and roll. So, you know, Bowie was about Brecht and, you know, Ferry was an art teacher beforehand. Yeah. And they, they, all these things were influenced in the music and influenced the culture at the same time and also stylistically how they looked. And that's what spoke to me. That's what really resonated with me, you know. I'm speaking with Jason Snyderman. Is it fair to call Ensign Broderick an alter ego? What do we? How, how do we refer to him? I don't, I don't know. I had to come up with a name. Yeah. So Ensign <laughs> that wasn't Broderick. Jason Snyderman. <laughs> well, and, and, and we're going to get to Ensign Broderick. Uh, Ensign Broderick. Uh, you can find the music, but it's a it's a character that you created. Uh, you were twelve, and I just I love this story so much. You're twelve years old. You're in your bedroom. You're listening to these records, and and you're just letting it kick around your head. You're letting yeah, the, the idea of all these influences kick around your head. And the result is Ensign Broderick. Yeah, well, I, I started taking piano lessons when I was really young, when I was three years old, and I hated it. And uh, to, for my parents to kind of, uh, to piece me off a bit, they they let me collect a drum kit piece by piece over a period of seven years. So <laughs> one, one year I'd get a snare drum and then I'd That's get funny. one stick to go along with it. <laughs> like so after, so by the time I was eight or nine, I had a full kit. I was playing drums. So I was playing rock and roll drums and playing classical piano. I didn't know that piano was a rock and roll instrument necessarily, or if it was, it wasn't in a context that I really fully appreciated. And at a certain point, I discovered Elton John and Leon Russell, probably more Leon Russell through Mad Dogs the Englishman mm-hmm. and um, and that type of thing. Delta Lady yeah. songs like that. So, yeah. And that influenced my piano playing. And then at that point, I started playing piano six or seven hours a day, trying to emulate those guys. And out of that, I, I got a broader understanding of pop music because I understood how the building blocks of pop music worked. Up until that point, it was only a classical pianist. Mm-hmm. And you don't apply the principles of pop music to classical piano when you're a kid. I, right. I do it retroactively. So I, I, musically, I was kind of set up to be a piano player that was influenced by heavy metal or rock, because you know heavy metal was Led Zeppelin at that yeah. point, or Jimi Hendrix or Bubble oh, Puppy or any or, or the or Cheer. You yeah, know, the, yeah. Blue, Blue Cheer. Cheer. Those those bands were heavy metal, but I wasn't a guitar player. Right. And my hands were guitar player hands, so I became a piano player trying to reinterpret that thing in my own head, also with being a drummer as well. So it was like a whole whole mishmash of things that kind of formed me as this alter ego character. And I realized 
all the rock stars that I liked had different names, like, you know, whether it was Elton John or whether it was David Bowie mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I said, well, I should get a different name, too, that wasn't quite so obviously, you know, related to my family and stuff like that. So. And when we come back, we'll pick up the story of Ensign Broderick. I'm speaking with Jason Steinerman. Stay with us. about all we're allowed to play on talk radio <laughs> music wise but that's uh, true shame yep. that's ensign broderick who is the alter ego who is the extension of my guest jason snyderman and the the story is and we'll we'll detail it but the story is you create this character of of ensign broderick influenced by the style of things coming out of Britain, out of the rock stars that you had seen. And as a 12-year-old, you're letting it all roll around. So, you know, like a lot of us, you know, you sit around in your bedroom, you listen to music, and and you let your imagination run wild. And I guess that's at least partially where this character came from. Certainly. And and I started writing songs when I was younger. Um, I just didn't know how to kind of make everything coalesced into some type of structure that uh, was recognizable as a song with words. That started coming together as I became a little bit older, 11 or 12, Mm -hmm. and uh, certainly stylistically, um, the notion of having an alter ego kind of played into it that could, could dress the part and... And being a really shy kid, it was also helpful, too. And a lot of shy people have these type of alter egos, and a lot of shy people, you know, you know, spend a lot of time in their bedrooms coming up with who they're going to be and what they're going to do and stuff like that. So I was really, really shy, and being in my bedroom was a safe place. I was fortunate or unfortunate. My parents weren't around a lot. Um, my father was more successful, and my parents would travel a lot. So I had the, my house to myself basically from the age of 11 or 12 on and uh i turned the house into a recording studio yeah so there was no digital recording back then you had a a cassette machine and you'd bounce tracks back and forth because i mean this is technical but you could essentially record 10 tracks or eight tracks by bouncing things back and forth so my house you know the drums would be upstairs in one room and guitar amps would be in my bedroom and the piano was downstairs in the living room. And, and for whole... the best sound, is that where you got the best sound in the room? Like the drum room was a bit more echoey than the guitar yeah, room? Well, or I, I had a, a thing where I put everything through an amplifier anyways. Right. It was like, that wasn't like so smart. It just it had the <laughs> reverb in it. So everything, right. I wanted reverb on everything. So everything right. got run, ran through my amplifier. Right. So, uh, I, but the house was just always... I was always just making music, you know, always, always, always making music. And it's it's a good laboratory, you know, being alone by yourself and having your house as, uh, you know, make music, and, you know. You say you were shy. Did you always have 
dreams of being a rock star or was there, you know, a, a thought of that? Even though you were shy, now you say creating the alter ego is is one way of dealing with shyness. And I thought of David Bowie creating Ziggy Stardust. I thought of uh, Meatloaf. I interviewed him a while ago. He said, I am nothing like the character of Meatloaf that I play in air quotes on stage. That's the character because I'm a shy person. That's the character I created uh, so that I could actually get out there and perform. Well, the Ensign Broder guy is like shyer. I mean, he dresses Flash, but yeah. he's shyer. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that um, the the notion of having an alter ego made it more cartoon-like for me and allowed me to kind of, in my own imagination, take it further. I always wanted to be that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw that start growing up in the mid-60s as something that was amazing, whether it was um, Mick Jagger <clears throat> or Elvis Presley yeah, yeah. or Little Richard or any of those people. I thought that type of lifestyle was great. And I'm and and being able to meet these people kind of reinforced the fact that it was a great lifestyle. You got to sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you got to play and and people and, screamed when you played and, and I yeah. always it was the best and most fastest route to a girlfriend, you know. Yeah. So um so being shy, that was like wanting to meet girls. It was like an easy way to get to meet girls. That is the reason that I would say about 98% of musicians, rock musicians anyway, became musicians. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, or otherwise, I would have stayed in my bedroom. So Yeah. <laughs> now, where did the name Ensign Broderick come from? Uh, well, I was a really big fan of Jensen Interceptors. Right. They're great cars. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, don't, I think Broderick came from... <clears throat> My the name Snyderman's not um, a real name. It's an Ellis Island name. You're right. assigned a name and you come across based on their understanding of what you are. So my uh, great-grandfather was a tailor, which is a cutter, which is a Schneider. So he became a Snyderman. I so see. Yeah, yeah. I think the place where we are from Ukraine was uh, English translation as Broderick. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're paying tribute to the past a little bit there. And it, it, it was fortuitous and easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And how did you picture Ensign Broderick when you were creating him? Because you took him public at a certain point, and we'll get to that, but how did you picture him? Um, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't quite Elton John, and it wasn't quite Leon Russell. It wasn't quite – it was like um, – a unicorn with a mane, you know, it's like, <laughs> whatever the a liger, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it 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 was uh, it was just a bunch of things that were an influence that became a a huge pastiche in my head, you know. So, um, and I read a lot, so it wasn't it wasn't I could never be Mick Jagger. I can't dance like Mick Jagger. I haven't got that type of bravado. I don't. It's like I'm shyer. So. My character, even if it wanted to be Mick Jagger, couldn't do that because I couldn't put it across stage. Right. I couldn't be like, theoretically, later on, I would never be like Meatloaf because I'm not a big screamer, you know? Right. So, um, and uh, it's the Ensign Broderick guy is like probably more like Brian Ferry, but he plays piano and he's a great. The thing about Ensign Broderick, the thing about what, me was I always wanted to be an amazing musician too. So I practiced a lot. It wasn't just about having an image and trying to present myself. I mean, Bowie started theater with Lindsey Camp and mine and stuff like that. That kind of was in my bag. It was like, I want to be the best musician I can possibly be and also be this other guy that wrote songs and, and, was, and was some type of recognized for his fashion sense, you know? 
And uh, it applies to all the aesthetics of the records and everything I do. I try to apply that same principle to what I do. And I, I started doing that when I was really young, you know. We're talking with Jason Snyderman about the invention of Ensign Broderick. It's, an, it's his musical persona when he was 12 and now again today. And there's a series of albums being released. Uh, we'll talk all about this. It, it's, it, it's a great story. And it's a story of, I don't know, fulfillment. It's a story about looking back at a live stream and bringing it to life. And, and I, I just think it's fantastic. Stay with us. You want to hear more from Jason Snyderman. Stay with us. If you will, if you won't, please step outside this frame. If you're free for this dance, then please tell me your name. This is the music of Ensign Broderick, also known as Jason Snyderman. I'm dancing around to figure out how to explain this to people who might just be tuning in. Jason Snyderman is uh, a piano player. Uh, uh, people know you from uh, working with Randy Bachman, with Rush, with Blue Peter, uh, Don't Walk By, uh, or Don't Walk Past. Uh, was such a huge hit. Yeah, that song was everywhere for a while, and and you're you played on that, right? You joined before they recorded that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I joined in in late eighty eighty one, I think, yeah, and we yeah. recorded that in eighty three. Yeah, and uh, so and and still, when I hear that song, I am immediately transported back to a to a time and place. You know, it 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 feels uh, to me, uh, or it brings back to me very happy memories. Well, I mean. I saw that band before I heard them. Mm. So in Toronto, like all like the punk scenes, and I think in, in Vancouver and, and maybe elsewhere, the streets were plastered with posters yeah. all the time. It was a weird way of getting your message out mm -hmm. before social media. And Blue Peter were the coolest looking band yeah. because they didn't look like every, they didn't look like a punk band. Um, they were dressed really, really well. Yeah. Paul Humphreys always wore yeah. suit tailored, looked yeah. like tailor suits. Yeah, and so he, they, they looked great. So I wanted to join Blue Peter because they looked great. <laughs> and they were looking for a keyboard player because they were trying to expand their sound from being like a proto-punk band. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all kind of met at a time when, when well, I was kind of into that Roxy music stuff beforehand, but they were, we kind of all met at a time when we started getting into Japan, which mm -hmm. was the next iteration. David uh, Sylvan, Yeah, right? David yeah. Sylvan and then Duran Duran and stuff like that. So the music kind of, I, I can't join Blue Peter at a time when musically they're making accommodations for the type of music that I like too. So it kind of all worked out well. And that song was great. Yeah. And so you played keyboards for them. Uh, so people know you from that. People know you from uh, your other work. But we're talking about a different project. We're talking about Ensign Broderick, which is an alter ego created when you were around 12 years old, listening to all the music of that era piecing it all together in your head and creating this character. And at a certain point, you started writing songs. And uh, what kind of songs were you writing at, at first? Have we heard any of them? Because some of this stuff has been released, and I would imagine that there's some that hasn't. But um, 
what songs do 12-year-olds write? Oh, there's lots of them that have been released. I yeah. mean, on the new record, Electric Blue was written in 1973. Wow. Uh, about a particular person. And on the song that you played a while ago, True Shame, that's, that actual recording was from my voice recording from 1976. So that singing voice is from, that's why it's covered in so much echo. Because <laughs> it's run through an amplifier. Right. And so, you like reverb. Yeah, yeah I love <laughs> reverb. So there's an, you know, uh, a 12-year-old that was reading Evil and Waugh and Somerset Mom and, right. and everything he'd get his hands on wrote in that style, even though some of it was really childish and some of it was, you know, I've taken the liberty of re-editing some of the words and stuff like that. But musically, a song like Blinded by My Own Mascara is exactly how I wrote it when I was 13 years old. Wow. And that's uh, a song off the first record, Ranger. So there's there's probably 25% of it's probably archival material mm -hmm. that's was written in that time period from when I was 12 to when I was 16 or 17. And what I would do was I would write entire, I mean, I, I kind of had a lot of time in my hands. <laughs> so I would write entire LPs and I would collate the lyrics, collate the images, do little mood boards, and then draw a cover of it. I'd do an entire package over a period of a month and a half yeah. in my own way thinking, that's the chronological order they would make a record. Right. I would record it. It would be like my, you know, plain rock star type thing, right. record company type everything together. And then I would f accumulate these files of LPs over the period of when I was 12 to when I was 15 or 16. It's like how other kids play you know, baseball or play sports yeah, yeah. or collect hockey cards. I collected LPs that I made myself, curated, and did all the imagery for. And why – didn't your friends know about Ensign Broderick or you, you, you tried, you, you, you made an appearance as Ensign Broderick and it didn't go very well. Well, uh, some of the material I was doing was, was really progressive because like I was a classical piano player and I was a huge Procol Harum fan. There was, and, I mean, some of the bands I like just weren't successful. Right. So, um, I integrated that into my music. I tried to do push the envelope on my music all the time because I don't know why. I just kind of people do that, you know. Yeah. It's like I wasn't trying to be different. It was how I heard things. Mm -hmm. Even now, um, I've heard these songs so many times that they all sound like ABBA to me. You know, even <laughs> I mean, it just it's true. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not intentionally trying to be obscure ever. I'm always trying to write pop songs because pop, writing a good pop song is the hardest thing in the world to do. You know, it, it is uh, a, a perfect slice of a time and place. I think a, a great a pop song is a beautiful thing. So um, even, even, I mean, the song that we just entered with was, uh, it's my idea of what, um, well, I, I kind of see things visually. I think a lot of artists see things visually first, whether it's cinematically or, so that song, Drowning Pool Eyes, I saw the song before I actually wrote it. And it was influenced by um, watching The Swimmer with Burt Lancaster, but it's influenced by a whole bunch of other things. It's also um, influenced by Inherent Vice and stuff like that and images of California and images of um, that. There was a book by Guy Peelart in the in the Rock Dreams. Rock Dreams. Yep. So there was a beautiful picture of Hank Williams in the back of a limo yeah. in his nudie suit who died of barbiturate overdose, that type of thing. So all these images just just kind of wave over my my thinking, my imagination, and they kind of drown me, and then out comes this type of 
distillation of how I see those images in my form, you know. So it's it's a pastiche that goes through the process, the filtering of me musically, me uh, literally, and and uh, from all perspectives, and that's how I come to all of this stuff, you know. I'm speaking with Jason Snyderman, and we're talking about the music of his alter ego, of an extension of him musically and artistically, Ensign Broderick, and there are uh, a number of Ensign Broderick records uh, for purchase through Six Shooter Records, wherever you buy fine vinyl. You could also uh, have a look at the Six Shooter website. Uh, but the new one is called Blood Crush. And uh, the song that we just heard, Drowning Pool Eyes, is from uh, Blood Crush. And that song was written when you were uh, 12, 13 years old. And it, did you perform these live for anyone? That's That song was written recently, actually. Oh, that song was written yeah, yeah, recently, yeah. yeah. Um, do I perform these songs? I, I have played live in the last couple of years. Uh, it really depends on um, the circumstance and yeah. the venue. I opened for the Rio Statics last year at the Horseshoe, which is right. great. They were so great to have me. Yeah. And uh, my manager, Shauna Descartes, who also owns Six Shooter Records, kind of facilitated that. And uh, I've heard, though, that like you don't go hang out at the bar afterwards. You play a gig and you leave. Uh, yeah, well, I've been playing live gigs for so long. I'm I'm not a big... I'm not a big hanger outer. I mean, I did, I did, I mean, I've been playing gigs since I was 15. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 I'm playing this weekend with my band in QR Buckle and, and, and the joke is that I'll just go back and read a book in between sets and stuff like that. So, but I, it just, it's just kind of, I probably not because I'm antisocial. It's just because I'm not a huge drinker and right. it's just, it's loud music really makes me crazy unless I'm playing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sort of me too. I I, I, I agree with you. Uh, it, it's interesting that it's a lifestyle too that can uh, suck you in and spit you out pretty quickly. And I think you've probably seen that over the years and maybe that has a little something to do with it as well. Well, I went on the road when I was, I mean, I got out of university really young. I did a three-year course at uh, uh, arts course in Toronto and uh, I was actually going to go to Berkeley in Boston, but that, I mean, I got accepted, but it didn't work out because I couldn't get to Boston. So, right. so I went to York and Toronto and, um, I, I got it relatively quickly and I went on the road. Um, I just didn't want to be at home anymore and I didn't want to go to school anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, I got a great, great education being on, on the road with Robbie Ray. Yeah. 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 Ray. So, and. And uh, I spent a couple of years going back and forth across the country, playing every type of club and uh, getting to know what it was like to be on the road and, and how to survive on the road. And for me, um, one or two, you know, letting go during the tour is fine, but usually I go back to my room and read a book. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jason Snyderman. We're talking about Ensign Broderick, the extension of his musical persona. Stay with us. Standing in my light, you'll have to pick up the album Blood Crush by Ensign Broderick. 
Uh, Jason Snyderman is my guest. And Jason Snyderman invented his glam rock musical persona, Ensign Broderick, when he was just 12 years old. Now the music is finally being released. Now, I hear that uh, Shauna DeCarche, your now manager, owner of Six Shooter Records, uh, heard about this music, heard some and said, oh, we got to get this out. This is fantastic. And you said, oh, you're making a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, well, as I would say, say, I mean, I love Shauna DeCarche, so I mean, I have a particular interest in protecting her interests, but uh, I... I uh, I would say that to anybody because it, first of all, it's just been gestating for so long Mm -hmm. and I was making it on my own and uh, keeping it under wraps and I occasionally put songs up on SoundCloud, but no one kind of knew and I didn't tell anybody. I certainly didn't tell anybody that I didn't want laughing at me, so I I didn't tell anybody actually. and I was, I am in our Incura buckle, which is signed to Six Shooter Records, yeah. but I was always just the kind of keyboard player, which no one kind of knew. And I was kind of undercover because I didn't hang around. They didn't really know me. <laughs> um, once um, I played a show for Shauna in Winnipeg where it was just me and Neville, Neville Quinlan, the lead singer. And so we got to know each other a bit more. And, uh, but uh, I still didn't tell her I was doing any music. And I think that through Facebook, she made went to my Facebook page and saw there were some links between Jason Snyderman and uh, Ensign Broderick's songs on SoundCloud. And the only reason I had a Facebook page is because I'm, I'm a yoga teacher, and okay. the yoga teachers kind of have a group on Facebook. So right, right. Otherwise, I wasn't really active on Facebook. So Shauna, on her own volition, found the music. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, she said, do you, do you do music? I said, well, kind of, but I'm never going to show it to you because you may hate me after that. So. <laughs> So, and uh, I, she found it on her own, <clears throat> on her own volition and she listened to it and said, this is really good and uh, I really like it and would you consider putting it out? And I said, I don't know, I think it's maybe politically uh, insensitive for me to be on Six Shooter being in Arbuckle too and I just right. didn't, I just wasn't quite certain and then the whole idea of actually coming out of my bedroom, you know, my metaphorical bedroom and being in public was just terrifying for me but um she kind of made it all okay and, uh, how are you feeling about it now the music's been well received this story it's getting a lot of attention i still feel like i'm falling yeah and i don't know if there's a safety net or not really you know so it's extraordinary and uh it's um and you keep a distance from it mm. so i mean i've i'm like you know i'm 60 years old i've seen this million times over um and uh it's the most important thing is to make sure you have an authentic voice and the music is what you want it to be about because at the end of the day after you strip away all the imagery and the clothes and the fashion and everything the music has to be something you can live with forever and mm-hmm. this is who i am the music is the music is the most important thing and the things that inform the music, fashion, film, art, history, politics, inform the music, but they're not the music, you know? Right. And it, as we sit here today, it's in some cases, you know, almost 50 years since the, this was created. Um, where do you see the, like the future of Ensign Broderick? Because there's a plan, right? We're sort of mid-career in this fictional career that he has now, right? With the records that have already been released, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think I had to put everything in abeyance. At a certain point, 
I wasn't getting any response to what I was doing myself. I joined another band. I kind of put my stuff aside. I got to write for Blue Peter occasionally. But um, the things that were true to me weren't going to translate into another band unless it was my band, you know. Yeah. So um, you, you have to kind of put your ego aside. There's there's no I in the word band. You know? right. So you have to kind of put your <laughs> ego aside and do what's best for the greater good. And I've always tried to do that, whoever I played with. Um, but I think that uh, I, I have... Um, I mean, at this age, I think that everyone at this age starts thinking about what the end of their life is going to be like, and uh, not to be morbid, but I'm, you know, I am, I'm not 25, you right. know, but chronologically or figuratively in my head, I may be 25 because I put all this stuff in abeyance and deferred it for 25 years. I'm right. not 25, so I don't have. Um, 40 years in front of me. It's just not realistic. It's not right. It's not viable. It's not realistic. And you have to be realistic about these things. So, you know, I released five records last year, and I have the most amazing record company and people there that don't think I'm crazy for doing it yeah. and actually support me and, 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 and not only support me, encourage me to do this type of thing. Um, but there is, there is the best due date, I think, you know, right. and I have to think about what what makes sense and hopefully I know I mean I plan out I mean I have another four records in my head already right. you know there's two records I'm in the middle of recording one with David Bottrell who uh, produced Peter Gabriel and music right, yeah. which is a glam record and uh, also um, a full out record which is piano and strings or orchestra with Jonathan Goldsmith so these two things are going to happen simultaneously and I think I don't know which one will come out first and then I have two more records completed in my head after that, and I have like another maybe 600 songs to choose from. But I think that I have a kind of a 10-year window mm -hmm. to do this type of thing, at which point, you know, it just, it just I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Leonard Cohen went for a long, well, not Leonard Cohen. Yeah. I mean, there's no kind of benchmark and go, oh, this guy did Charles Aznavour. I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah. Charles Aznavour. I'm not Leonard Cohen. I'm not Serge Gainsbourg. I'm not... You know, I'm Jason Snyderman. But but if you look at if you think of of Ensign Broderick as as the totality of of that character's career, he'd be in about let's say you started making records when he was twenty, the fictional guy. So five records in, that's he's twenty seven now, maybe. Yeah. And you know, I mean, he could go on forever. But a lot of people make ten records. I mean, how many records did uh, I don't know? How many records did Prince make? Prince only made, you know, 15 records in a career probably. So, you know, you, you could, you could bridge the, the, the width of Ensign Broderick's career by releasing five albums a year. I know, but I haven't got, I mean, I, it's, it's two of those records. Those records were done from 2010, yeah. 2011 on my own to now. So I think I have material. I mean, as long as the, the fact is I have an incredible record company, I have an incredible manager, I have people that I trust which living in your bedroom, you don't trust anybody. That's right. Um, you know, the people that I'm fortunate to work with at the record company will tell me when things aren't authentic. Mm -hmm. And Shauna actually plays classical piano, so she tells me when things really aren't authentic. <laughs> so if things aren't authentic, then it doesn't matter how much material I write. It has to be right. Everything has to be perfect. And and I'm I'm... I always want feedback from people. Um, like I've always been, bring me the bad news first type of right. person. I'm that so, too. Yeah. So, so 
I think that I can keep writing and recording. Um, and even if I didn't have the opportunity to speak to you, you know, or speak to or be in public, I would still keep writing and recording till it didn't make sense anymore, you know? I'm speaking with Jason Snyderman. Uh, Blood Crush is the new album by Ensign Broderick, who is his musical alter ego, an extension of his creative life. And uh, it's fantastic. I love the sounds of these records. I love the songs. I love that they feel, you keep using the word authentic. It's a word that I used earlier to describe the, the way that this music hits me. It feels authentic. It feels uh, like something that's not quite of this time, but very much authentic. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of this story, and I'm an Ensign Broderick fan. <laughs> <laughs> How would your 12-year-old self reacted to someone saying, I'm an Ensign Broderick fan? Well, he would probably just melt. Or, or, <laughs> or just like, you know, it's just, I just, um, I, th- I think that uh, the... W- w- like a lot of people I admired who were involved in pop art, um, and I, you know, I'm not doing this self-consciously. I'm not doing it as a, certainly not as a 12-year-old self-consciously. You just take whatever raw influences you have mm-hmm. and you integrate them. In what you do, you know the 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 notion is that on the surface there's some superficiality in what I'm doing because it's all on image and based on. But a lot of that is cynical or sarcastic, you know. I didn't have the cynical, sarcastic element to it when I was 12 or 13. And and frankly, I don't think 12 or 13-year-olds should be cynical. Or yeah, no. They should be dreamers and they should you know yeah. go for their dreams. My cynicism or sarcasm is based on living a life and knowing that there's disappointments and you have to manage expectations and things like that. But at the end of the day, you take all those elements and even if it seems superficial on the top level, there's something very lynching about it underneath, you know? And that's why, I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, I did a film with Guy Madden, who's a film director from yeah, Winnipeg, yeah. and uh, he did uh, a film to a song I wrote, which is backwards, as opposed to me writing the song for his film. Right, right. Um, and he did it, and I, and I wanted to work with him because he is so great in... Um, Subcontext yep. and and subtext and and ta- and 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 giving different layers to his filmmaking and the same thing is kind of in my music you know I think it would be it would I would feel badly if people just saw the image and heard the top level of what I was doing and not really understand because I, mean, I spend you know a lot of time working on the words I spend a lot of time on the music it's like I'm um, because I have so much time on my hands and I've been doing it for so long, I can afford to be meticulous in what I do. So, I've been speaking with Jason Snyderman. Uh, check out the Ensign Broderick Records. You can find them at Six Shooter Records uh, on their website. They are available wherever fine vinyl is sold. The new one is called Blood Crush. And and I have to tell you, and I've said it several times here, I love this story. I love that even though you may have a slight reticence about discussing it in public. I just love that this has happened. I love that this dream that this t- uncynical 12-year-old kid had, uh, we can now enjoy on the radio in uh, 2018. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Andre, on the board. And thanks to you for listening. Thank we'll talk so again much. next week. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much.